Hello, and welcome to Prophecy Girls, a Buffy rewatch podcast. I'm Kara Babcock, pronouns she, her. And I'm Stephanie Chow, pronouns she, her. Join us each week as we break down every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer from the beginning. This is a spoiler-free podcast, and we're currently on season two. Whether you're watching for the first time, or longtime fans like us, we'll be analyzing every episode, character, and storyline like it's our first time, too. During this rewatch, we'll reminisce about our memories of Buffy, discuss the show's cultural impact, and provide honest commentary on the show. Thanks for listening! Now, on to the episode. Season 2, Episode 21, Becoming, Part 1. Yes, it's all come down to this, and next week, I suppose. (laughs) Let's just take a moment to appreciate how far we have come, both this series in two seasons, and our podcast, Steph, because it feels like just yesterday that we were just getting this podcast off the ground in February and March, and we were just starting to watch season one, and we were having these conversations about this show and how it gets off to a rocky start. And here we are at the end of season two. And I think there are echoes of Prophecy Girl in this episode Mm -hmm. and in the the episode to come. In the sense that like Prophecy Girl was probably that turning point where the show finally kind of shows us what it's possibly on the way to becoming. 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 (laughs) Here we are. Like (laughs) this is the show being like, thank you for your faith in us, and here is your payoff. And I don't mean to say that this this episode and next week's episode are perfect. You know, we've got some hot stakes and you and I have some commentary about like things that this episode maybe lets us down on. Mm-hmm. I think in terms of the quality, the quality of the writing, the quality of the acting, the way that this episode satisfies a lot of our desire to learn more about the Buffyverse, this episode is great. And it's so exciting that I've been able to watch the past season, two seasons, and dissect them with you. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm getting so much more out of this. Oh, so I know. <sighs> more than I ever thought I could have. Like, I always knew when you sit down and you, you know, analyze a 42-minute episode over a two-hour conversation. Because, yes, listeners, Cara and I talk usually for about two <laughs> hours, and then we cut it down. <laughs> And then we start recording. <laughs> we start recording right after that. <laughs> but yeah, we cut down these episodes to give you the best quality of what we're talking about. But it's only through these amazing analyses and dissections with you, Kara, that I'm really like, like Buffy hits different now for me. And yeah. the love for it continues to grow. I know, you know, I do a lot of things on TikTok and I, I post a lot of my own hot stakes on there. And some people come for our podcast and come for me and for you uh, because they don't agree or they get upset that we're critiquing something that's so precious to them. And I I honestly feel nothing but more love for this show with the way that we're talking mm-hmm. about it. Yeah, there's things to critique in this episode, in the series, in season two, but there's so much here to love. And this episode is the beginning of that conclusion of probably one of the best seasons of television I've ever seen. We talked about this in our intro episode, and I think you and I were both kind of agreeing that season two is, if not the best season, I mean, there's a lot of room for debate and discussion on which is the best season of Buffy, but Mm -hmm. season two is something special. 
yes. in this show. Yeah, it's when it this show, I mean, this series found its groove in season two. And yeah. like you said, it's been building, it's been building, it's been building. I, it hasn't been perfect. And there's been shaky <laughs> starts and stops. But we're getting to the end. And like you said, this is... This is for us, right? Like, this is what it's all come down to. Joss Whedon, say what you will about him, but he tells a really good story, and it's all led up to this. So, let us begin. Let us begin. So, uh, previously on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, I did watch the previously before in this time around because it sums up what we've done with Angel and Buffy up until now. I don't know if I got it on my DVD rip. Okay, okay. So for this one, it just, you know, it started with when we met Angel in, in the pilot, and then obviously when Angel and Buffy got together, and then he said that he gained his soul and that he turned Drusilla into a vampire, and then obviously mm-hmm. Buffy and Angel falling in love, having sex, him losing his soul, Jenny trying to restore the soul, him killing Jenny, <laughs> and now up to We've this We've been episode. through a lot. We've been through, Angel and Buffy have been through a lot. We've been through a lot along with them. So this is why I actually really appreciate this episode because you know you and I love a good backstory. And this episode mm. is giving us this backstory filler to Angel's character. Why? I guess we're not going to know until the second part of these these episodes. But we're getting Angel's full story here. The best parts of what's happened to him in the past 241 years of his life. So where does Angel's story begin? It starts in 1753 Galway, which is in Ireland. 17, se, se, 17, 17, anyone who listens to Hamilton. <laughs> 1753. And we uh, get a mysterious voiceover from someone we've never heard or seen before this is the second time we've had a voiceover in this season and i gotta say i'm not loving it you don't like the voiceovers eh <laughs> just let it be just let it be quiet uh but what this person is saying is here's the thing there's moments in your life that make you that set the course of who you're gonna be sometimes they're little subtle moments sometimes they're not i'll show you what i mean and i will say i agree with that there are moments that change your life yeah like the moment you asked me to host this podcast with you <laughs> changed my life forever that is so sweet <laughs> i'm gonna cry all right i'm gonna cry uh we're not gonna get through the season finale <laughs> <laughs> all right so uh angel is falling out of a tavern in this irish village i mean immediately right we have the stereotype of the drunk irish yes yes and he's got a hilarious ponytail it looks awful on him and he's wearing uh the outfits of the 1700s in ireland i suppose and he's with his friend angel is wasted and he's saying to his friend that he's gonna steal his father's silver so that they can get more whores and alcohol and Clearly, we're getting an impression that his dad has a lot of money and Angel doesn't. We don't know his name yet, what his human name is. But his friend just passes out on the street and Angel's looking around and he spots a lovely lady, like a blonde, beautiful, noble woman. And we know as the audience that it's Darla. And we haven't seen Darla, obviously, since season one when Angel killed her in episode seven, Angel. I will say here, one of our listeners, and I'm so sorry, I can't remember, they messaged us after... Halloween after we recapped Halloween and they pointed out that remember you and I called her Sarah the Vampire Slayer that drawing in Mm -hmm. the Watcher Diary they pointed out that perhaps that drawing was Darla because if you look at Mm. Darla in this scene and then you think about Sarah the Vampire Slayer 
they're looking very similar. Why was it labeled Sarah, though? Maybe that was her alias. Like, I don't know. And I'm so sorry. Listen, uh, yeah. I told them to remind me closer to the time we're right. recording Becoming. It didn't happen, obviously, totally understandable. So I, I'm, I'm sorry I forget who it was, but that was an interesting little tidbit that I wanted to bring up. Darla, a.k.a. Sarah the Vampire Slayer, leads Angel into an alleyway, and he's speaking in a terrible Irish accent. <laughs> And he's like, what's a lady of your station doing alone in the alley with the reputation that this one has? Like, I don't know, old timey talk, I guess. And uh, Darla says maybe she's lonely. And Angel says he offers himself as an escort to protect her from harm and to while away the dole hours. Darla asks if he's up to the challenge and he calls her milady. <laughs> and <laughs> I love saying milady. And uh, you'll find out that with the exception of an honest day's work, there's no challenge that I'm not prepared to face. So the fact that we are meeting Angel as a human, drunk, stealing from his father, obviously no ambition. The fact that he's like, I don't do an honest day's work. So this guy's kind of like a nomad. Like he just, I don't know. Like I, the impression is just that he doesn't do much. That he's kind of like a loser. Yeah, he's a yeah, he's a scoundrel. He's a layabout. Yeah. He's a wastrel. You know, yeah. he yeah, he doesn't contribute anything. Mm -hmm. and, and we're getting the sense he's not a particularly upstanding citizen. My question is: it, did, Can Darla like sense the evil inside him? Like, does she know what she's about to create? Yeah, because so much of season two has been establishing that. Angelus was a very special vampire, right? Like he was violent and chaotic and just completely unhinged compared to most vampires. And I'm I'm curious, like, did Darla suspect that's what she was getting when she sires him? Or was she just like, eh, he seems like he's worth a good time. Like, <laughs> That's something I would want the show to go into more detail at some point about. Yeah, that would be really great. And also another question I had was, was Darla there to get him? Or had she been watching him for a while? Yeah. Or was it just a random happenstance, you know? So he asks her where she's from. She says from around everywhere. And he says he's never been anywhere but wants to see the world. She says she can show him things that he's never heard or seen of. She says it's all exciting and frightening. And he says, show me your world. So she says, close your eyes. She puts her vamp face on and she bites him. And then after she bites him, she draws blood from her own chest. And then you'll notice it, she scrapes her finger across her chest. Blood comes from the tracing. But her nail is not hitting <laughs> her skin. <laughs> so she's clearly just drawing jam onto her <laughs> chest. But, you, you know, you, you get the idea. And uh, Angel drinks from it. And this is the first time we've seen a vampire sire, another vampire, uh, because we, you and I have speculated how they do it, I think, based on our mm -hmm. seeing the show before and maybe other media forms of vampires. But this is the first time we're watching it. So it's very fitting that it's the first time we see a vampire get sired. It's Angel. That's when we cut to Angelus's beautiful, pale, pale face in the cemetery <sighs> of 1998, Sunnydale. And he's stalking Buffy again. And watching her kick the crap out of two vampires in the cemetery. 
Buffy manages to stake one and then for the other she says give a message to Angel for me tell him I'm done waiting and I'm taking the fight to him can you do that or do you need me to write it down for you <laughs> but then the vampire attacks her so she stakes it so and it dusts yeah. so she says all right I'll tell him myself and that's when we see that Xander was there he was he's on the ground clearly he got knocked over so she helps him up Xander mentions that that's five vampires in three nights and Buffy's like yeah but no angel. So clearly she's on the look for him. Like she's actually avidly mm-hmm. hunting him at the moment. And Xander says, uh, aren't you anxious to go up against him? And Buffy says, she wants it over with. And I like this. I like that she's like, I've fucking suffered enough. Like this guy, finally, like she's just done. Like she, I'm done feeling guilty. I'm done with this miserable, miserable year. I want it done. Maybe that's why she's actively hunting. Finals is coming. Up. I-, I don't know. I agree with you. I also think we should consider the fact that she's really just tired of fighting fish monsters from last week. And she's like, I need some fan action here. I want a villain that's worthy of my time. <laughs> Not this coach Carl. <laughs> yeah, I feel you. So Buffy brings up that she needs to start studying for finals. Xander, of course, didn't remember finals either. He's like, why didn't you just let me die? And Buffy says, look on the bright side, it will all be over soon. This is very typical of TV shows and movies with high school chosen ones. It's like, you know, the bad guys, the boss fights, the final climaxes always seem to happen around finals. And it's very inconsiderate. Can't you wait (laughs) until the summer to attack? Like, (laughs) Yeah, it's the same thing in like Harry Potter too, right? Like the showdown always happens in June. Everyone should just know that June's going to be a busy month, you know? So, as they walk away, Angel says into the night, yes, my love, it will. Cut to credits. We go to the museum. I think it's the museum. And there are curators, or or are they archaeologists? I'm not sure. But they are studying a big block of dirt. And Giles enters the room, and the man introduces himself as Doug Perrin. And we know when you introduce yourself and give yourself a name, you're done for <laughs> your your time is up yeah i don't even know like we're not this guy's not gonna make it <laughs> no so we but whatever we learned his name is doug and uh he had invited giles over because he said he spoke to someone from the washington institute and that person said that the best authoritarian on obscure relics is right there in sunnydale and that's giles and i was like what <laughs> Yeah, like, this has what? never come up before, and you would think that if Giles were this big of a deal, we would have heard about it. He'd be, yeah. like, too busy. This guy's famous. The Washington Institute knows that Rupert <laughs> Giles, a.k.a. the Ripper, is living in Sunnydale and can read any obscure relic you find. <laughs> yeah, That's so, so wild. So Doug shows Giles this big, <laughs> I think later on in the episode they call it an obelisk, although... I don't know. Do obelisks do obelisks have to be pointy? I was always I, under the impression obelisks need to be pointy on top, but maybe I'm wrong. I, so, I don't know. I was calling it a tomb. Yeah, well, I mean, there's something inside, but we don't know that at this point. There's some writing that we don't recognize on the outside of at least one face, you know, and Doug's like, do you have any idea what this is? He's like, you know, some construction workers dug it up outside of town, which I guess explains why it's in Sunnydale. Because why else? Like, Sunnydale has way too much stuff (laughs) for such a small town. I also made a note because obviously I work on big infrastructure projects in, you know, Canada. And if this was to happen, if there was an archaeological find, construction, 
would shut down. The roads would be shut down. It's a huge inconvenience because this is a big deal to discover bones, fossils, beer, like, like I don't know, weapons, mm-hmm. like old rocks. Like, it's a big deal. So these construction workers are really pissed. <laughs> so Giles is like, have you carbon dated it yet? Which... <laughs> Giles, if you really were an expert, you'd know you can't carbon date rocks. Like, you have to carbon date <laughs> organic stuff. So, you know, as, as you just pointed out, Steph, if they had found bones buried in the same layer as this gigantic stone yeah. thing, yeah. then maybe they could carbon date the bones and maybe then, you know, but it's just like, okay, well, like, well, clearly this is going to be important to the plot. Maybe you shouldn't open it up, though. <laughs> he's also like taking samples and stuff i'm like what are you doing with the samples <laughs> giles he's just... gonna run it through his mass spectrometer that he has in his <laughs> office duh I for- well he is the world leader in these things we forget so yeah you're right though like doug is so keen to open it he's like let's see what's inside and i was like doug have you not seen the mummy like oh don't open shit until you know right and and giles is saying the same thing he's like let me let me figure out what the text is saying before we touch anything so we cut to the cafeteria at school. Xander is recreating the night before the like Buffy's slaying with like two little fish sticks for Cordelia, Willow, and Oz. Oz is here. <laughs> and when I saw him and Willow's like sitting on his lap to establish that she has a boyfriend, because don't forget, we haven't seen Oz since Bewitched, Bothered, and Bewildered. And we don't see him for the rest of the episode. I did. <laughs> hurts. When I saw him, I literally got angry i was like where the fuck have you been you left us here with xander for weeks without a word of explanation you just fucked off and we we had to stomach xander only with no other male presence oh it's true it's true so you you owe us oz you really do and i don't care that you and willow are being adorable and she's sitting on your lap i don't care i'm mad you can't just leave and come back like this so oh i also want to say you know how how xander was telling the story with the fish sticks and i was Mm -hmm. like we just watched go fish like why do you need to rub that episode (laughs) in our faces i didn't make that connection interesting (laughs) so buffy says that angel is too much of a coward to take her on face to face and willow asks her if she's ready to fight him and buffy says that she's sick of people asking her that and she's ready willing and able and it's the one test she might actually pass now this is the second conversation of buffy's in under a five minute episode where she's talked about, I want it done. I need to get this over with. I'm ready to do it, blah, 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 blah. And I keep getting these like vibes. Let's take away the supernatural and just think about a breakup, right? Sometimes couples have these like ending closure conversations that come, like you have a breakup, you take some Mm -hmm. time, then you meet up again and you have a conversation and that takes some mental prep. So I was getting those kind of vibes from this too. Well, he's also stalking her, right? Like it would (laughs) be different if he turned evil and then he skipped town. Yeah. And he was off causing trouble on another continent, right? Like, mm-hmm. I think she would get over him faster. But he's constantly showing up and taunting her and killing people around her. Like, this is the worst kind of breakup. It's a breakup <laughs> where your ex doesn't leave you alone. And in, in fact, turns into an abusive psycho stalker creep. Yes, exactly. So there's so many layers to to this dynamic here. And Willow says that she's going to get Buffy through the semester because she's a really good friend. And she says that her and Buffy will study together after school. So that's when Cordelia tries to compliment Willow, doesn't really succeed, and Xander calls her out. And then they start kind of like PDAing, like 
teasing each other. Yeah, this whole scene, including Snyder breaking it up in a moment, mm-hmm. I loved it because it was it felt very teenager to me. Yeah, you know, like I think I think sometimes we call out these older actors and the writing for making them seem a little not teenager like. But this felt like a very real scene. It was just a bunch of teens in a cafeteria goofing around with some fish sticks, tickling and hugging and sitting on each other with a PDA, right? Yeah. Like, this is how teenagers act. And then for Snyder to come and break it up, it's just like, yep, yeah, and that's how certain principles would act. <laughs> yeah, you're right. It's very authentic. Yeah, Snyder comes, breaks them up, and then Buffy gives him sass, and then he just threatens to kick her out again. Which is, you know, he had to come in and say that. That's great. Good job being a good school administrator there, Snyder, and really supporting your kids. (laughs) Cordelia calls him uh, a tiny, impotent Nazi with a bug up his butt the size of an emu behind his back, obviously. Very creative insult. I love it. I I know. And Buffy agrees with her. And I like this little, like, moment of, you know, camaraderie between the two. Uh, Willow tells Buffy to stop at her house that night. Buffy says she's going to patrol first, but she doesn't expect Angel to show up. But that's usually when he does. So we cut to London. Jolly old London, 1860. I'm so sorry for our people from London who had to hear that just now. At a Catholic church of some kind, we see a human Drusilla enter the confession booth where Angelus is murdering the priest right next to her quite scary and he pretends to be the priest as drusilla confesses to him and is this the first time that angelus is meeting drusilla that's my impression right i think it's the first time he's talking to her i think he's already stalking her like he's clearly like staked her out identified her and this is his way of arranging a meeting what this shows to me right is angelus's confidence he is not afraid of a church I think most vampires wouldn't want to enter a church because they'd be worried about crucifixes and holy water and all that stuff that can harm them. And Angelus is like, this means nothing to me. I'm going to kill a priest in the house of God. And that's how bad I am. Okay, that's I was a little bit uncertain of like when this was. Um, Drusilla says that she's been seeing again. She saw men go into the mine and a horrible crash. But then her mother had warned her not to say anything because, you know, those are devil's thoughts. (laughs) But so then, of course, there was a mine explosion and men died. So she says she's feeling like she's cursed. And her mother thinks that it's an affront to the Lord. And only he is supposed to see anything that before it happens and Drusilla's crying like she's just really upset she doesn't know what to do and she says she doesn't want to be an evil thing this is really interesting to me because mm-hmm. at this point in England like spirituality and occultism were starting to become quite popular to me like if if somebody like Drusilla was like claiming like I can see the future I'm psychic that would that would be like a business opportunity of like I could market myself as a medium And I don't know, maybe it's because she's like more working class Mm -hmm. and so they don't go in for that as much. But it was was just interesting to me because it it seems like maybe the writers are playing a little fast and loose with history here um, to (laughs) kind of justify Drusilla's attitude because um, the Victorian era was a very, it was very steeped in mysticism and spirituality. You know, there was a lot of belief in ghosts, a lot of belief in mediums, being able to talk to the dead, being able to you know, get glimpses of the future. Um, Just wanted to throw that in for our listeners. I love that. And I I think it's, I think Drusilla's actress, Juliet Landau, is doing an amazing job. 
at yeah. portraying Drusilla as her frightened young woman self because we've only seen Drusilla be the ecstasy taking <laughs> like high vampire yeah like we're seeing the contrast because later on in the episode we see kind of drusilla at the height of her power mm -hmm. um and here of course you know angelus is trying to take advantage of her concerns because posing as the priest he's listening to her confession and he's like don't worry and he, he sounds reassuring like his tone is reassuring mm -hmm. but his words are like you know the lord has a plan for all creatures and then he calls her a devil child he's like the lord even has a plan for a devil child like you mm -hmm. and he calls her a spawn of satan right and, and he's like nothing is going to save you um the lord's going to use you and then he's going to smite you down um, and he's like, that's the Lord's plan. Just give in. Just be evil. Which, like, he's just totally messing with her. And I love it because that's who he is. I think what we're seeing, right, is we're seeing, like, this is how he breaks Drusilla and how he twists her. Is Drusilla at her core before she became a vampire. She expresses this desire in this scene. I want to be good. I want to be pure, right? She doesn't want to be evil. So for Angel to take somebody who is striving to be a paragon and transform her into a complete 180 of that, that's power right there. You know, that's what makes Angelus a villain. It's not necessarily the number of people he murders. It's the way that he can take an individual like Drusilla. And if he can do that to, to Drusilla, he can do that to anybody. Mm-hmm. And it also shows that he kept it real with Buffy when he said, like, this was the worst of my evil, was what I did to this woman, yeah. because we're seeing the the beginnings of it here, and look at how distressed Drusilla is. She's crying, she's like, what can I do? I want to be good, I want to be pure. And she's begging him. She's like, I beg you, help me, right? And he just says, okay, just do 10 Our Fathers and an act of contrition. Does that sound good? And then she thanks him and he says, God is watching you. And then it cuts to a new scene. So, ooh, it's pretty heavy stuff. I, <laughs> I could watch this backstory stuff all day. Like, I think it's really fascinating. Mm -hmm. And I like when the show does yeah. this. That's when, like you said, we cut to Drusilla, who's descending the staircase at the mansion in her full <laughs> evil chaos glory. And Spike is there. And he's, remember, last time we saw Spike, he stood up. So he's keeping this very close to the chest. Obviously, he's up to something because he's still in the wheelchair. It, yes. And later in the episode, right, we see that Spike actually like rushes to conceal from Drusilla mm -hmm. that he, he can get out of the wheelchair. And that's interesting to me because it means that he doesn't fully trust Drew at this point. Mm -hmm. I will say, because I, I know I said in the last time we saw Spike and the, over the last couple of episodes of Spike, he's just been whiny and moody and he's been in his chair. <laughs> and this episode, we finally get the first little taste of Spike when he was introduced to the show. Because remember, he was the big bad. Mm -hmm. He was introduced as the big bad of the season. And then he was completely overshadowed by Angelus, who, you know, is alpha to his beta. And I liked spike in this episode a lot because he's so calculated and sarcastic mm -hmm. and moody and sad he's a lot of things in this episode and i'm like oh good we're getting a taste of the spike we got to know before what's my line part two 
Angelus comes in and asks Drew if she had a vision, is something coming? And Drusilla says in her way that something terrible at the museum, a tomb with a surprise inside. And Angelus is like, oh, you can see all that in your head. And Spike is like, no, you ninny. She read it in today's paper. And he hands it to him. And sure enough, the front page news of the Sunnydale paper is mysterious obelisk unearthed. Drusilla says that it's been whispering to her and Angela says soon it will stop and soon it will scream. Because <laughs> they're evil. This bones. episode is really like emphasizing the dramatic kind of one-liners at the end of these scenes. <laughs> it's true. It's true. And um, we got to Buffy and Willow who are studying at Willow's desk in the computer lab. And Buffy is struggling and whining about it because studying sucks. And she says, when in the real world is she ever going to need chemistry or history or math or the English language? And she calls herself a moron. And let's not forget, like, all the way back to season one, like, Buffy has a lot of insecurities around her intelligence when it comes to learning and to school. So calling herself a moron, like Willow is not having it. And she says, will you stop that? You're not stupid. You just have a lot on your mind. You can learn this really easily. But if you're going to give up, then don't waste my time. <laughs> oh, Willow. Love it. Love it. And Buffy like hears this and she says, oh, you're a really good teacher, right? That's when Buffy drops her pencil, which falls <gasps> between the desk and the filing cabinet right next to that secret floppy disk which has been hiding since passion so of course buffy right away notices the floppy disk and picks it nope she doesn't she picks <laughs> nope. up the pencil nope doesn't notice the floppy disk it's like you know your heart kind of stops and you're like wait wait we've been waiting for this moment yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. and then i think the next part's really interesting to me because if i were the writers i would have just had buffy go huh and like look again because you know it'd be like oh i just i noticed there was something else yeah that's what but i thought instead they like make up this excuse of she's like oh like deja vu like i have a memory of this moment and then she goes and she she drops the pencil again <laughs> yeah does it over again yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then gets the floppy disk and i'm like you put too much thought into this moment, writers. Like, she could have just found the floppy disk. <laughs> but you know why I liked that? Because I agree with you. I also stopped and were like, what the fuck? Like, why did why did they play it out this way? But I kind of liked it in the sense that Buffy's Slayer senses were tingling. And Buffy sees prophecies just like Drusilla. And Buffy feels things as a Slayer should. I felt like that deja vu that she was meant to mm -hmm. find the floppy disk. It's like her destiny was to find it. I agree. There. It's that guardian angel that's watching out for her <laughs> and making sure she's in the right place at the right time. I fucking love that. I love it. So Buffy's like, oh, you know, did you drop a floppy disk? Because who else would care about a floppy disk other than Willow? <laughs> When's the last time you said, hey, did you drop your floppy disk? <laughs> it's not a common thing to say anymore. <laughs> Only when I'm trying to pick up someone's stuff. <laughs> Oh, that's your opening. <laughs> Is that a floppy disk? Or are you just happy to see me? <laughs> or unhappy? I, I don't know yeah. if that's the right way to phrase that. I'm pretty sure. You, correct me if I'm wrong, but you don't want things to be floppy, right? <laughs> I pick up people using fish puns, so I don't know how, <laughs> how others would do it. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. Um, yeah, so I just, I think it's hilarious because Willow's like, she could immediately recognize that this generic yellow floppy disk is not hers. She's like, it must be Miss Calendar's. And she pops it into the laptop that they're using, the big bulky laptop with a floppy disk drive. <laughs> and she's like, let's take a look. And Buffy's like, isn't that, you know, like kind of macabre, like going through Miss Calendar's like files? And Willow, 
very matter-of-factly is like, no, I've already done most of her files. Like, <laughs> I've already gone through which, everything. again, you know, we've had a conversation about the inappropriateness of having a minor cover this class. But it's also like you're expecting her to go through this teacher. Like, what if Miss Calendar had really inappropriate things in her files, right? Mm-hmm. Like, Willow is not even an adult yet, technically. And you're just letting her roam through this teacher's computer. Miss Calendar did have inappropriate things on her computer because all that black know, magic black magic, black magic. Ooh. <laughs> which is exactly what yeah it's exactly what all those puritans in the 90s were afraid of right with like <laughs> harry potter they're like this is gonna teach our good christian children how to do witchcraft and then they'll summon the devil and it's just or like, it'll help them read and like reading we <laughs> think about it that way <laughs> so yeah so um they they load it into the computer and it loads up the program with the translation program that Jenny had written to mm-hmm. decipher the lost magic of her people that would curse Angelus with his soul again. And it, it's like, wow, like suddenly we have an option we didn't have before. But before we can find out what happens, we cut to the Romanian woods in 1898. So a hundred years before now. And it's Angelus. He's running wild through the forest. And the Romani people are preparing the body of a dead girl. So we can assume that this is the girl that Angelus fed off of and pissed off her clan. And they are performing a spell in their language. And they have a orb of Thessala. And the elder woman is saying the words and clearly they're about to curse him. So Angelus runs and he falls near a bonfire in the camp. I don't really understand why, because like, it just seems like he, like the curse was already happening to him and he was like trying to run from it. It was kind of weird. But anyway, the Thorb, the orb of Thessala glows white and disappears. And then we see Angelus's eyes glow white. And then he looks around very confused. And a man approaches him and says, it hurts. Good. It will hurt more. And Angelus is really confused. He's like, where am I? And the man says, oh, you don't remember everything you've done in 100 years, but in a moment you will. The face of everyone you killed, our daughter's face, they will haunt you and you will know what true suffering is. Angelus is really confused. He's like, killed? I didn't kill anybody. Because I think in that moment, he must have gone back to when he was a human. And then all of a sudden he Mm -hmm. realizes and his eyes fill with tears and he starts saying like, no, no, no. And then he falls over as the man stands over him. But I really liked this scene for David Boreanaz. Mm-hmm. I think he depicted it really well. I mean, it, sure, it could go on the side of melodramatic, but I don't think it did. I think that he actually like showed that pain starting to hit him. I felt it. I agree. And this just goes to show, you know, The writers have done a good job of feeding us just enough of Angel's backstory. Like, a lot of what we're seeing right now has come up previously in season one in Angel when, you know, he and Darla were having their thing. And then earlier in season two, like, these things have been mentioned before. But the writers never took the time to script these flashbacks until now, because now is when we need that information. And... For anybody who is looking at Buffy as perhaps kind of like a a masterclass in writing a TV show, like this is how you do it. Don't info dump. Don't do a ton of unnecessary flashbacks 
near the beginning of a character story just because you you're excited about the character's backstory hold on to that stuff and give it out to the watchers as you need to and as it matters because i think we're going to learn very quickly in the next scene Mm -hmm. and the fact that they've already discovered the restoration spell Mm -hmm. this is why they're showing us angel's backstory now why we're getting these flashbacks because i think it's all leading up to this conversation in this library should we bring him back so we cut to the library and that's the conversation they're having and this is a really tense scene yeah it's awesome i love the scene i thought it was really well done it's infuriating but very well done willow and buffy are telling the scoobies that they have the curse and they printed it out on paper and willow is saying that miss calendar was trying to replicate the original curse to restore angel's soul again and then buffy says well she was trying anyway and it looks like it might have worked and xander's sitting next to cordy at the table and he says oh so angel killed her before she could tell anyone about it what a prince and cordelia says well this is good right we can curse him again and giles says Everything points to that, but the ritual itself requires a greater knowledge of the black arts than I claim. And I was like, what? Like, Giles, do you forget that you summoned orgy demons? <laughs> sure, but he did that with a group of other people. And yeah. I also get the sense that summoning an orgy demon is not that hard. <laughs> Anyone could do it. It doesn't take very long. You um, just have to be horny enough, right? <laughs> you just got to be willing. <laughs> so Willow says that she's been going through Jenny's files and researching the black arts for fun. <laughs> As you do, you know, this is actually a pretty normal teenage activity. She's like, for educational fun. (laughs) But she said for fun first, right? Just like, oh, it's really interesting to me. And she thinks she's able to work this. And Giles says, channeling such potent magic through yourself, it could open a door that you may never be able to close. Ooh, we have to think about that. Because then Buffy says she doesn't want Willow putting herself in any danger to do this spell. And Willow is insisting that she may be the best person to do this. Now, all through this season, I've been pointing out here and there and making observations that Willow and part of her character growth, part of her character arc is that when she has an opportunity to show something that she's really good at or has a talent in or a specialness in, she's gung-ho to do it. Usually it's about her brilliance and her ability to do research and work at the computer. But now, because she's showing such a interest in the black arts, like the fact that she's going through Jenny's files, you know, this has nothing to do with computer class. It's nothing to do with her own studies. She's going out of her way to learn more mm-hmm. about the black arts. I think that's another thing that's making her feel special and important. So this season has dedicated a lot of time to showing us these little aspects of her. And just like this season spent a lot of time showing how Giles had messed around with magic when he was young and there were serious consequences to it. And Giles and Willow, their personalities and their friendship are very intertwined in a lot of ways. He's straight up warning Willow, do not open this door because it's dangerous and sometimes you can't close it. And I think that Willow is very eager to help in this way because she loves Buffy and she wants to do the right thing. And this seems like you can cure somebody who's actually really good. Remember, her and Angel worked side by side for a couple of episodes there. So I think she has good reasons to want to do the spell. But I also just want to bring up the idea of doing black magic is appealing to her. And she's saying, I'm the one that can do it where I actually believe Giles could do it. 
but Willow saying, I'm the one that has the ability to do it. So I just wanted to point out that she's leaning into the black magic. And this is the first time we're seeing her do that. And I do think this is something that we're going to be keeping our eye on as Willow's character progresses. I'm I'm sure it's going to be fine. Stuff. Like, what could <laughs> yeah. possibly go wrong? Well, we've got a lot of seasons. Like, I'm sure we'll take it like step by step and nothing will happen with Giles' supervision. But uh, yeah. I've never thought about this before in my previous rewatches that this season is where we start to see this keen interest mm-hmm. in dark, dangerous magic. Yeah, well, the writers took jenny's use of magic her ability to do you know a small amount of magic and because they killed off jenny's character and i think they knew that they were going to do that pretty early on they were like well let's make sure we preserve this dynamic in the scoobies and so i think giving those traits to willow and turning willow into the go-to witch Mm -hmm. or or wiccan or Mm -hmm. uh, whatever you would like to call her the magic user of the group it it adds depth to willow's character and it also makes sure that the writers have a character that they can harness when they want to bring magic into it right so Mm -hmm. like you were saying they've done a really good job this season of laying that groundwork because we just saw two episodes ago right like willow did research and was like, let's make a Mangus tripod. And <laughs> obviously she was leading that effort because yeah. Giles had abandoned them all. And so we're seeing her growth. Like you said, we're seeing her growth in terms of her interest in contributing and leading even, mm-hmm. but we're also seeing her growth in terms of she is stepping up to, in a way, like take up Jenny's legacy. Yeah, I agree. I think right now her, her intentions for using magic are very noble Uh, I just can't help but notice that her sense of feeling special and contributing is now moving from just research and just being the book girl to being a magic girl. And I just think you're overreacting, and I don't think it's (laughs) going to be much of an issue going forward. And I'm just like, warning, warning, everybody, here it is. It begins. So this is it, guys. This is it. Xander jumps in because Xander needs his voice to be heard. And he calls them all crazy. Once again, it's the white men who are always being silenced, you know? Enough Can't is get enough. a word in advice. <laughs> enough is enough. Enough about Willow, okay? What about Xander? So Xander <laughs> says, he says the spell might restore Angel's humanity. Who cares? And Buffy says, she cares. And Xander looks at her and says, is that right? And ooh, is that right? Came out like such a dick thing to say that I got, I immediately, like, obviously, my defenses went right <laughs> yeah. up right away because it's his attitude, right? Like, is that right? Like, fuck off. So Giles says, let's not lose our perspective. And Xander says, hey, I'm perspective guy. Angel is a killer. And Willow starts to shut Xander up. She's like, Xander. And Buffy says, it's not that simple. And Xander says, oh, so all is forgiven? I can't believe you people. And Cordelia starts to chime in and says, Xander has a point. And then Xander flips on Cordelia. And he's like, you know, I just wish for once you would support me. And now I realize that you were doing that. And I'm embarrassed. But I'm going to keep going. That's the only (laughs) funny part of this scene, I got to say. Like, I did laugh at that part. Xander keeps going. And says, Angel needs to die. And Giles says, curing Angel seems to have been Jenny's last wish. And Xander says, yeah, well, Jenny's dead. (laughs) Uh, So 
Giles starts getting up in Xander's face, yelling at him, and Xander's yelling right back. It's very passionate from both of them. And Buffy shouts, stop it, stop it, and gets in the middle, gives them both, like, this look. Like, Buffy's fucking wounded by this. Like, not only are is everybody fighting, but, like, they're fighting over something that, you know, should we kill or let live my boyfriend who I think I killed, right? This is a huge deal. And Willow asks Buffy, what do you want to do? Because at the end of the day, Buffy's the leader, right? So Buffy gets to choose and Buffy says, I don't know. Well, and I think this should be Buffy's choice because Angel was her boyfriend. She is the slayer and she was involved. I'm not going to say she's responsible, but she Mm -hmm. was involved in him losing his soul. Like none of the others were involved in that. So they don't get a vote. (laughs) Well, this is the thing. And Buffy says, like, what happened to Angel wasn't his fault. And... This is true. It's like what you just said. This She's not responsible, but she feels responsible. She literally feels like she killed Angel. So Buffy wants to save him because she feels like she killed him. So if she has a chance to save him, she can't save Jenny, but maybe she can save Angel. And Xander says, yeah, but what happened to Miss Calendar is, as in it is Angel's fault. And he says, you can paint it any way you want, but the way I see it is you want to forget all about Miss Calendar's murder so that you can get your boyfriend back. And Buffy walks out. Everyone's staring at Xander because he's such a fucking dick. And here's my thing. Here's my thing. I think that Xander came at this too brutally, too harsh. Sure, he was passionate, but he could have came at this with way more compassion and The thing about this conversation is no one shared all of the points. No one shared all of the factors of what this decision means. They just kind of like let Xander have it out. And Buffy said it's not simple, but no one dived into why it's not that simple. And I just felt unfinished. I really liked the scene, but I was like, there's so much more to be said about this situation. I just want to point out the incredible look that Willow serves up to Xander after Buffy storms out. Mm -hmm. Because Willow stands there. And the look on her face is remarkable. It communicates volumes. You know, if we're talking about acting in this show, like Alison Hannigan, you can see that she's disappointed with Xander because they are childhood best friends. And in this moment, he has let her down more than he ever has before. And she's angry at him. And she's hurt, you know, because she has spent all this time pining after Xander And here he is continuing to ride the jealousy train with his feelings for Buffy versus Buffy and Angel. And I just, I love that moment, that look from Willow. I think that was very significant. As far as the scene goes, what strikes me as significant about the scene is that this is a departure from Prophecy Girl, where Buffy and Giles were the ones who had the conversation about what are we going to do about, you know, impending threat. In this scene, we have everybody together, except Oz, for some reason. And I think Oz would have made this conversation way better. <laughs> but, you know, what we're showing, the, the, the show is dim- demonstrating how over the past year, Buffy's connection to the Scoobies has solidified to the point where it's no longer Slayer and Watcher. Xander and Cordelia and Willow are involved now, and... I know I just said that, you know, they don't get a vote in this, but like they are part of the decision making process about how are we going to fight Mm -hmm. this evil? Mm -hmm. And that's such a change from the previous season where it was always like, I don't want you to get hurt. 
I got to face this by myself, you know? So that's a significant evolution that I wanted us to observe. Yeah. I like that a lot. And I, I think um, they can have a say. And that's why I wish they had. I wish they had everyone had given their point of view more clearly besides Xander. And again, I'd be very prone to Xander's side of it. Angelus killed Jenny, but he came at it with such anger and such unneeded force that I didn't care for it in the, in the end, right? It's like, it's kind of like, whoa, you're too mm -hmm. much and you're too insensitive to what's going on. Because what you really should have yeah. said, Xander, was how is this going to make Giles feel when Angelus <laughs> is insold and walking around making out with Buffy again, and he killed your girlfriend. Like, that would have been a good point to bring up. Don't worry. I don't think there's anything else that Angelus could do to Giles. <laughs> it's going to make things possibly worse or more awkward if he gets his soul back. Yeah. Um, I don't I don't know. Well, okay, you said it earlier, too. Like, the jealousy aspect of this. It's hard because Xander is saying these things on behalf of Miss Calendar. But we all know that it also comes down to his jealousy. Yeah, but I don't think Jenny would have want like I, I'm with Giles in this. Like this was Jenny's last wish. Yeah, you should honor that. I agree, and I think it's just really selfish of Xander because he's wanted Angel gone since before he was mm -hmm. before he lost his soul. So mm -hmm. that's probably why Willow's staring at him so pissed off. She's like, "This is nothing to do again with Jenny." He's just the worst. He's just the worst, exactly. So. Yeah, so we cut to the museum where poor Doug is going to get killed by Drusilla right away because they're there to take the tomb <laughs> and Angel and Drusilla and the minions take off with it. And that's that's that scene. He dies. Sorry, Doug. Wrong place, wrong time. We cut to Buffy, who's on the phone with Willow as she's packing her bag full of weapons and they're talking shit about Xander. Love to see it. <laughs> Willow calls Xander something that's we don't hear because she's on the other line. And <laughs> and Buffy says, Willow, where did you learn that word? My God, you kiss your mother with that mouth? And I'm like, I wonder what word she used. What do you think she said? What do you think she said? I don't want to say it. <laughs> say, I think she called him a motherfucker. That's what I think she called him. <laughs> <laughs> um, Buffy is packing more weapons. And that's when she sees the Clotta ring. That Angel gave her in surprise, and she stares at it very sadly. As Which sad is just lying plays. around because she's a messy teenage girl. Yeah, and you know because I watched this so closely this episode. Actually, it's kind of cool because behind her in the scene, you can see, she has a poster on her wall, and it's of L.A. But the the one word that you can see while she's looking at the ring is Angelus, like Los Angeles. <laughs> and I was like, Wah! so anyway, cut to Buffy walking through the park, and she hears some rustling in the bushes and looks suspicious. But boom. It's Kendra, Kendra the Vampire Slayer, back from Jamaica. Speaking of bad accents in this episode. <laughs> she's toned it down. You can tell she's toned it down in this episode. But yeah, Kendra's there, and she said that she was just jumping out at Buffy to test her reflexes. And Buffy says, how about testing my face punching, because I think it's improved. And it's cute. This is a cute exchange. You can tell they have affection for each other as much as they can. Mm -hmm. um, there's respect there. And Buffy is, and she says, I'm glad to see you, but what the hell are you doing here? Let me guess. Your watcher informed you that a very dark power is about to rise in Sunnydale. And Kendra <laughs> says, yeah, that's about it. So How convenient, you know, <laughs> and it's good to see Kendra again. Yeah. So now we go to the mansion with Angelus revealing his brand, brand new toy, the giant rock. <laughs> and Spike is unimpressed. And he's like, oh, you know, like 
it's a big rock. And he's just making a lot out of the fact that it's a rock. He's like, can't wait to tell my friends about this. They don't have a rock this big. And <laughs> James Marsters is just doing this wonderful deadpan performance. Yeah. And then Angelus uses this as an opportunity to further belittle Spike. He's like, well, you don't know your history very well, Spike, right? It's like, this is your fault that you don't know how significant this rock is. You idiot. Yeah, exactly. So Spike <laughs> is like, well, why don't we have a history lesson then? And Angel's like, don't mind if I do. And he gives <laughs> us this little lecture, you know, and he's like, once upon a time, mm -hmm. it's story time with Angelus. All the children gather around. And he's like, once upon a time, there was a demon named Decathla. And... He wanted to swallow the world, right? Like, you know, just he's just a friendly demon and he just wants to eat the whole world. Like, big deal. Uh, but a knight comes along and rudely he killed a Cathla before a Cathla could actually, like, take a breath and do the whole world swallowing thing. And the way the knight did this is he pierced a Cathla's heart with a special sword. And that turned a Cathla into stone. So... Did the knight really kill a Cathla, or did he just defer this problem for, like, a thousand years later, right? Like, this is the judge, you know, all these other things that just keep, these ancient things that just keep coming back yeah. to bite Buffy and her friends in the ass. Like, yep. that knight was irresponsible. But no, so a Cathla turned to stone, they boxed him up in more stone, <laughs> and then they buried him where nobody was supposed to find him, except <laughs> Angela says... If you decide you want to build low-rent housing, which is like this <laughs> subtle remark, right, about, um, you know, expansion. I guess Sunnydale is getting some new housing built, but... Yeah, city council's been busy. Yeah, so he, like, you know, he gives a signal, and his minions op crack open this tomb. And my question is, like, that was really easy. So was Doug just following Giles' advice not to open the tomb, or was he just not able to figure out how to open it? Because those vampires <laughs> made very short work of it. And I'm like, okay. Leave Doug alone. All right. Leave Doug alone. He did his best. <laughs> he died for this Fine. tomb. <laughs> uh, and then we see like this the stone statue of this petrified demon, literally petrified. And there's a sword in it. <laughs> this is literally like the lever by which they will free a Cathla. Spike is, again, very sarcastic. He's like, okay, so somebody worthy is going to pull the sword out of the stone. You know, a little pop culture mm -hmm. illusion there. Mm -hmm. uh, and then there's going to be wackiness. <laughs> and, uh is really excited. And Angel's like, yeah, like, a Catholic's going to swallow the world and everything's going to go to hell. And then, you know, he's like, his big supervillain moment. And he's like, my friends, we're about to make history end he is evil what an evil man oh mm. i have thoughts about this but we can talk about it at the end of the episode and what i love is we go from this scene into the next scene where giles already knows everything that angel's up to and i'm just <laughs> like good job like this episode is not wasting any time do you remember back in season one what it, when it would take like the whole episode for us to find out or sorry, for the, the protagonists to find out what the bad guy was up to. And now it's like, next scene, they're like, a Cathla, swallow the world. Got we're it. We're good to go. Yeah, yeah. Like, even think about like, I mean, hey, how long did it take them to figure out who the mummy was? And then B, like when the judge was assembled, the judge was assembled and like having dinner. And they were like, we got to stop the judge. <laughs> we got to find his parts. And it's like, guys, this is like a day ago, right? <laughs> so you're right. Improvement. Hello. This is great. <laughs> 
So, um, yeah, Giles has uh, amazingly, miraculously, he's talked to Kendra's watcher Zabuto on the phone and they confirm that it is a Kathla and that this is the big debacle that's happening right now. And Giles says that the demon universe exists in a dimension separate from our own. In one breath, a Kathla will create a whirlpool that will pull everything on Earth into that dimension where only non-demon life will suffer horrible and eternal torment. And Buffy says, okay, I think Willow should try the curse. <laughs> she like makes a quick decision. And Kendra says that she sides with Xander. Boo. You're just into him because he's a man. Yeah. <laughs> She's got penis on the brain. And Angel should be eliminated. And hey, this tracks for her character because she also always wanted to kill Angel. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> but okay, here's my thing. Here's my thing. Why, why do I think insoling Angel is the best move here as opposed to just killing him? It's because insoling him means that none of them have to go near him. Buffy doesn't have to risk her life to go and fight him. They can just re-ensoul him from afar. Right, but Willow has to risk herself. And I think one of Buffy's traits as a hero is if the choice is between putting somebody else at risk or putting herself at risk, she'll put herself at risk first, right? Mm. Like Buffy doesn't mind. You know, th this is another parallel with Prophecy Girl is in Prophecy Girl, Buffy was literally like, I am destined to die in fighting the master, mm. but I'm going to do it anyway because it's the right thing to do. And here in Becoming... She may not be destined to die, but she's aware that she has a very good chance of dying at Angel's hand. And I think that's the difference is she recognizes that she doesn't want Willow to put herself in harm's way. Mm -hmm. But she knows that if she fails and she doesn't kill Angelus or doesn't take Angelus with her, then her friends will be unprotected. The world will be unprotected. So her... Deciding in that moment, okay, Willow, try the curse, is the backup plan of, I am going to fight Angelus, but Willow is there to back me up, which right. I think is great. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a point for Buffy, right? It's a, it's a really good point because she says, if I lose then Willow can step in mm -hmm. and save us all. And Willow's like, I don't want to be the only hope. Can we find another hope? And I'm just like, oh, Willow, you're so great. It's so cute because Willow says that she crumbles under pressure. And I'm like, Willow, that is so not true. You've <laughs> saved this gang under pressure. You made a Mangus tripod, Willow. <laughs> Willow, you made a Mangus tripod. You figured out how to get igon the demon out of jenny by using angel True, yeah. like you've done a lot of stuff that's been very helpful in the crunch in the nick of time so don't undersell ah, yourself willow great. and yeah but i i really liked what you just said about um buffy wanting to take the responsibility off of willow to do it but i also think this is willow's chance to step up yeah. and be like i'm a hero too and i don't mind putting myself well, in danger and I think we find they have finally learned that it's best to have more than one plan. Yes. <laughs> wow, the girl. I mean, there there's some areas in this episode where we're like, wow, you didn't learn anything. But in this case, they're learning pretty quickly. And uh, that's when Kendra pulls out a sword and says, it was blessed by the knight who first slew the demon. He left a spare sword. He's you like, mean? in case a Catholic wakes up, here's another sword. Here's another one, guys. It was a two for one deal. You know, I used one on a cat. This one's just lying around. Buy one, get one. <laughs> and why did why did Zabuto have it? Questions, questions, questions. But 
Kendra brings it out. So this is their plan C. They now have three plans. It's great. I love to see it. <laughs> and Giles is so cute. He like takes the sword. He's like fanboying over it. He's like, oh my God, like a sword. And um, I do love, I do love when this show introduces mighty weapons last minute. Like it's really <laughs> yeah. great when they do this. So they have a sword now too. Great. They have restoration spell. They have a sword and they have Buffy really keen to kick his ass. So here we go. Giles is asking how long Willow needs to figure out the ritual of the curse. And Willow says she needs a day and the orb of Thessala. And Giles is like, oh, that's the spirit vault for rituals of the undead. I have one in my office. I use it as a paperweight. <laughs> it's so, it's so great. So like, <laughs> I, again, like, so, so this is a moment where it's like, oh, my God, like the writers were lazy and they, you know, it's oh, so convenient. He has one. I don't see it that way. I see this is really clever because it's fun. And it shows us, right, that, like, these plans can come together. And Giles is just like, yeah, I got one of those. It's not a big deal. No, no, no. This is this is why it's funny is because in Passion, when Jenny bought the orb, the shopkeep said that he sells them as paperweights. He's like, they're usually sold as paperweights. Like, they're, they're like, to the the random person, people don't know what they are. So clearly, Giles did that. He knew what it was, but he was using it. So he's one of these like rubes that the shopkeep made fun of. Yeah, and it's another case of like ships passing in the night where it's like if uh, only Giles and Jenny had been speaking, then she could have been like, yo, Giles, I got a restoration spell and I need an orb. And he's like, oh, I got an orb. And then it would have all come together. Uh, but no. I know, I know. And then she would never have to go to the shop where they would have found out that she bought it. Ooh, I know, I know. So Buffy says that she's going to wing her final tomorrow. Uh, remember, they're in still in school and they have finals. And then, but maybe if they all go to hell, then she won't have to take them or she'll have to take them forever. <laughs> and Giles comes out with the orb, gives it to Willow. And he says that Angel has a ritual of his own to perform before he can remove the sword from Akafa and wake, awaken him. And with any luck, that could take some time. So that's when we see, like you said earlier, Spike is pacing around his wheelchair. He's obviously doing a lot of thinking. He's agitated. But then he hears Drusilla enter the room, so he jumps back into his wheelchair to show that he is still indeed unable to walk. Uh, Drusilla's just like, Spike, my sweet. The fun's about to begin. So he wheels out. And uh, the vampires are dragging a shirtless Mitch, like a random. Yeah, it's very, like, (laughs) not explained who this person is, right? It's It's so random. And I actually, I think we should remind everybody what a Mitch is because long ago in season one, we named every (laughs) random guy. First, it was random guys that Cordelia would date. We named them all Mitches. But over time, it's just become any random man (laughs) that happens to be Mm -hmm. near a woman or in within an episode, they're Mitches. It's just, yeah, so like, is... What's the significance of this guy in the Akathla ritual? Is he an innocent? Is he a virgin? Like, nobody ever bothers to clarify that. Also, just a quick note on the Spike thing. You know, this is another example of ableism in the sense that when we do see characters who use wheelchairs in TV, they're usually depicted as like they are stuck in the wheelchair. But in real life, uh, many people who use wheelchairs can walk they have some mobility in their legs it's just that they have mobility issues such that a wheelchair is an important assistive device because otherwise they wouldn't be able to walk as much or as far so you know the fact that spike like everybody's assuming spike can't walk Mm -hmm. because he's in his wheelchair that's a very ableist thing for the show to do since 
there are many people who use a wheelchair part-time or in certain contexts, and it will be nice to get to a point in television <laughs> where we actually see that nuance yeah. in disabled people. Yeah. So before we can find out more about this match, we have another flashback, which I really wish they did like the wavy thing that you used to do in TV shows. <laughs> yeah, that would have been... And, but no, so we are in Manhattan this time. So we've gone to the new world. Yes. But it's 1996, mm. so it's not that exciting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I was alive at this point. Um, me too, me too. Angelus is yeah. looking pretty rough in Manhattan. Yes, he is. So would you still do him at this point, Steph? Or... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would. All right. <laughs> I All don't right. need to explain yeah, it, so but I would. Angel's looking like, you know, he's living rough. He's He's in an alley. He's subsisting off of rats. And, you know, like, he's clearly fallen on, on, on hard times, and he's been like this for a while. You know, it's been a hundred years, almost, since he got his mm -hmm. soul. How far has he fallen? And then this dude shows up, and he's, like, dre he's dressed, like, not from the 90s. He's dressed the way I picture Joss Whedon dressing if he went to the bar. <laughs> he's like, it's like, I think it's like a Rat Pack vibe, yeah. right? Like, Yeah, 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 yeah. He's, um, he's a man out of time, this one. So he is um, very critical of Angel's appearance and his smell. Yeah, he's like talking shit. Uh, you know, and he says some ableist things, compares him to a homeless guy. Uh, and then he's like, and, and Angel's like, stay away. <laughs> You know, very like emo and dramatic, and and this guy's like, "What are you gonna bite me?" So he knows that Angel's a vampire, but he also thinks that Angel is not a threat, and he's like, "Oh, you're not gonna bite me because you have a soul and it's torturing you, ha ha ha." And so, I guess Angel decides to hang out with him because well, he's bored and starved for company. I think he spiked his interest because he says, "I know, like, he, I know who you are. You're a vampire with a soul. Come walk with me." And Angel's right. like, oh, okay. Like, maybe I'll get a rat out of the deal. I don't know. <laughs> so It's kind of like an interview with a vampire kind of situation, <laughs> yeah. I guess. So yeah. they hang out. They walk around Manhattan. You know, this guy's like, why are you living off rats? You know, if you lived in the world more, you know about wonderful things like surplus-blooded butcher shops. <laughs> <laughs> and... You know, and, and so this guy's basically like turning into this mentor for Angel. And he's like, you know, you could go either way here. You could sink further, which I don't recommend because you've already sunk so far. <laughs> or he's like, you could become someone. Yeah. You know, and he reveals that his name is Whistler. Uh, grabs a hot dog, doesn't offer any to Angel, which is very rude. rude. Um, and he's like, you know, I'm a demon. But not all demons are bad guys. Some of us are just trying to, you know, make a life here. I really like that he left that ambiguous, right? He's like, yeah, I'm a demon, but he doesn't actually tell you why he's there or who sent him. So there's a mm. lot of mystery around this person. Yeah. So Angel's like, what are you going on about, buddy? <laughs> just, just, just tell me here. <laughs> uh, you know, and Whistler's like, you can go either way on this. You can be more useless or you can become someone and let me show you that way. Like, we, I can show you something. We got to leave right now. But I can show you something that's going to help you decide. And Angel's like, where are we going? And so, you know, they were in Manhattan. The next scene is in Los Angeles. So they've driven across the country. 
which I, I'm just thinking, like, what was that road trip like? <laughs> well, no, no, correction. Like, did Whistler want to listen to, like, radio stations that Angel didn't want? Correction. When we see Angel's in this beat-up, muddy car, obviously to keep the sun out, and he rolls down the window and we see it, Angel is in the driver's seat. And I was like, they must have spent the entire trip from Manhattan to Los Angeles teaching Angel how to drive, because there's no way he would Ooh, know how to. So that's what oh, I noticed. I was like, well, he's driving, but he just spent the last hundred years in an alleyway. So <laughs> it's the car is just ridiculous because, of course, Angel can't be exposed to sunlight. Yeah, but it's like, how do you see where you're going? <laughs> Okay, but Spike, because Spike came to Sunnydale in a car as well, right? And the question is, and I think we'll see a car in another episode in the future. Did nobody pull (laughs) this car over? There's not even like a little like peak hole. (laughs) Like, how are they (laughs) driving? Whatever, whatever, whatever. It's obviously 3.30 p.m. on uh, in Los Angeles, and they are outside of school, and Angel rolls down the window and looks, and we see Miss Buffy Summers walking out of the school (gasps) with her friends, long hair, pink coat, so much like Cordelia than the way she's speaking. She's talking about this boy named Tyler and how he's like, he's like going to beg her to go to the dance with her. And like, she's sucking on a lollipop. This is Buffy when she was the queen. Like they, they, they've tried to make Sarah Michelle Gellar look even younger. Yes. Right. Because it's like, this is young this Buffy is from two, two years, years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, as she, she says bye to her friend, she's like, call me. Call me, call me to all our friends. It's really cute. And um, they, then she sits on the stairs and then she's approached by who I'm guessing is is Merrick. Uh, but they couldn't get Donald Sutherland. Who looks nothing like Donald Sutherland. He's <laughs> Su- Sutherland, sorry. He's not even wearing the hat, right? Like, okay. dude's not even trying. They didn't, they didn't want to because Angel is already dressed like that. So if they had Donald <laughs> Sutherland show up in his outfit... His flasher well, coat. And it's just, this guy's acting is so bad. He's like, do you see your destiny now? After she kills a vampire. Yeah. And it's just like, so my headcanon is that this is, okay, so the Buffy movie takes place in a slightly alternate universe. Oh, okay. Either that or, or another way you could look at it is this flashback is actually Angel's memory of what happened, mm-hmm. right? versus the movie right so angel's just remembering this watcher as like <laughs> less formidable angel remembers this watcher as like a santa instead of like donald sutherland <laughs> for some reason all right but I, i'll take that canon why not let's like, do that this is just it's such an interesting choice for yeah. the show to very quickly recap buffy becoming the slayer like this yeah. from angel's point of view because <laughs> that's what they're doing here right is they're saying they're revealing to us that angel met Buffy, kind of. You know, he knew who Buffy was before she knew who he he was. Because we knew in season one that he had come to Sunnydale with a purpose, Mm -hmm. but he was very vague because he was all fuckboy back then. And now the show is like, very specifically, some demon showed up and was like, here's the Slayer, you need to watch over Mm -hmm. her. Or at least, like, he manipulates Angel into coming up with that idea himself, because Angel's very suggestible. But, yeah, yeah. No, um, no, no. That, that, I, that's what I like about this episode. That's why I like these flashbacks, because we're getting the fuller story, mm-hmm. and we're getting more into Angel's headspace before he came to Sunnydale to help her. So, yeah, so so this guy approaches Buffy, and he's just like, your destiny awaits. And Buffy's like, I don't have a destiny. I'm destiny free. <laughs> And, and it's also funny because he's like Buffy Summers and she like thinks that he's from a store where she stole lipstick from. 
<laughs> I fucking love Buffy. So anyway, we so he says only you alone can stop them, the vampires. And she's just like, huh? And then we cut to the next scene. She's in the cemetery wearing this hideous orange puffer jacket. And she's having her first slay. Like she's she's slaying a vampire the, for the first time. And she sucks at it because it's her first time. And she's like, she like misses the heart <laughs> like by a lot. <laughs> And it was very nice. It was very nice of the vampire to lie still for her so she could get it right. Um, She ends up killing the vampire and Merrick is behind her and he's like, you see your power? And Angel was watching this whole thing from afar. So Buffy goes home and she's late and Joyce is mad at her and she's like, oh, sorry, I was with Tyler. We were talking. And Joyce is like fed up, but she's like, okay, whatever. Dinner's in 10 minutes. And like, what time is it? Is it 9 p.m.? Like, I was, yes, thank you. I was thinking the same thing. But you no, you know she means that dinner's downstairs in a bag and you come down in 10 minutes and you grab your bag. No, you don't think dinner in a bag only happened when they got to Sunnydale? <laughs> no, I think it was a summer's family tradition. Love it. Love it. Yeah. So just go downstairs, heat up but your yeah, bag. But yeah, I'm with you. It's like past dark, you know, it's like, it's got to be like nine, ten o'clock. Yeah. And they're like, dinner's in 10 minutes. Like, how late does this family Were eat Were they dinner? waiting for her? I don't know. So yeah, so, so Buffy... Buffy's Uh, left alone in her room and we hear Joyce and Hank fighting with each other in the next room. And Buffy's looking at herself in the mirror and she's listening to them. And what they're fighting over is her. They're fighting over what to do about Buffy, how to discipline her. Hank is like freaking out. He's like, you treat me like a child. Like you can't let me discipline my own kid. And Joyce is like sticking up for Buffy. She's like, it's not that big a deal. And like, it's awful, right? And Buffy's crying in the mirror mm-hmm. and Angel's watching from the street, um, her cry in the mirror and he like feels for her. I think he's kind of just like, fuck, this sucks for her, right? I feel bad for her. So this is a very interesting look into Buffy too because, you know, since season one, we've revealed that, okay, Buffy, a lot's going on with Buffy, right? Like we've already talked in this episode about Buffy being insecure about her education and about her intelligence. But Buffy also carries a lot of guilt about her parents' divorce. So we're looking into here when things were at their worst before they separated and they were fighting over Buffy. Mm-hmm. So she feels like she caused it. Ooh, this is a part of what makes Buffy so compelling. So Angel goes to meet up with Whistler in the sewers. Whistler is basically saying, oh man, that Slayer is going to have it really tough. She's just a kid and the world's full of big bad things. And Angel says, I want to help her. He wants to become somebody. And Whistler says that, oh, she must be prettier than the last Slayer. And it's like, mm, could have done without that comment. <laughs> and then um, he says, this isn't going to be easy. The more you live in this world, the more you see how apart from it you really are. And Angel says that, he wants Whistler to teach him what about the world and how to be in it, but he doesn't want to dress <laughs> but like he him. He doesn't want to dress like him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so then they walk off. So, so here we have the reason why Angel came to Sunnydale. He saw Buffy get called into a Slayer, and he wanted to help her. He was compelled to help her. So we cut back to the mansion, and Angelus has bitten into the Mitch and put blood on his hands and grabbed the sword in a Kathla, and it glowed white. And then the flashback happened, and now he's glowing white again, but then it rejects his hand and he falls back onto the ground. Spike says, Uh someone wasn't worthy, which I think was so funny because remember when we met Spike in School Hard? 
and he said someone's in the ceiling <laughs> right like same thing <laughs> so he's finds this hilarious right and, and drusilla is like freaking out she's like losing it she's like ah! <laughs> and angelus is super pissed and he throws something against the wall and he says we'll have our arm again and i swear we have to turn to an old friend yeah he's pissed because he's embarrassed probably yeah like well because he he gave a big dramatic speech to everybody yeah. this is my destiny like, after he he yeah exactly yeah. he's like this is my destiny you know today's the day yeah. and then he does this whole thing and you know, if we're ta- speaking of like metaphors and euphemisms here, he couldn't perform. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He was, he didn't reach climax in front of Spike, and that's embarrassing. So, yeah, yeah Drusilla is not satisfied. <laughs> no, she's freaking out. And of course, Spike finds this hilarious. So, we cut to Sunnydale High the next day. Buffy and the Scoobies are all taking their final, their exam, and a mysterious hooded figure walks down the hallway and enters the classroom. It is a female vampire who shouts to the entire classroom, Tonight, sundown, at the graveyard. And she drops her blanket and she's in direct sunlight and she starts to steam up and she's like, His hour is at hand. <laughs> and uh, yeah, you will come to him or, or more will die. And then she dusts and all the people in the classroom yeah. are freaking out and I, I don't think they ever ever talk about this ever again but like buffy's just staring. no and they don't talk about like did did you have to like reschedule that final like <laughs> did they have to retake it like that was disruptive yeah it was neither must have been and more importantly this female vampire did not say which cemetery there are dozens <laughs> right okay but staff i think you're not giving buffy enough credit it's the cemetery. It's the most important cemetery in her relationship with Angel, right? Like, you never forget your first cemetery <laughs> with Angel. So she knows. She knows in her heart which cemetery uh, I really like that, actually. She's like, me and Angel have a lot of history in this particular cemetery. We made out here a bunch. So yeah. this is the one. <laughs> so in the library, Buffy is saying that the vamp said that more will die if she doesn't go. And Kendra's like, well, why don't I come with you? And Buffy's like, no, I need you here just in case. Okay, 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 Buffy. That's good thinking. And she says she can take care of herself. As long as Angel's fighting me, then he can't end the world with the ritual. Which is smart. Yeah, I I like that too. And Willow wants to cross-check some of her notes, but Buffy says, we don't have time for that. This is going to work. It has to work now. And Willow says, okay, I just need half an hour once we're all set up. And Giles says that you just need to hold Angel off. Like, you can go and fight him, kill him if you can, but, you know, you have to hold him off. And Mm. then when, if the ritual works, you'll know. And Cordelia actually says something really smart. And she wonders if maybe Buffy should just wait here and see if it works first. And then maybe he'll phone you. (laughs) She says, then maybe he'll give you a call. And um, (laughs) he'll page you. And Buffy says she can't risk him killing anybody else. So she's going to go. And Kendra comes up to her and she says, uh, in case the curse doesn't work, here is my lucky stake. And she says, I've killed many vampires with it, and I call him Mr. Pointy. And Buffy's like, remind me to get you a stuffed animal. But she then she like <laughs> grins and says, thank you. Because, hey, it's, this is Slayer understanding. It's, it's bonding. bonding. Yeah, it's so cute. It's sincere. And I got to say, I, I agree. Like, as much as it would be good for Kendra to go to back up Buffy, I think it's smart to keep Kendra at the library. Because this has trap written all over it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, diversion. Like, it's very clear that Angel's trying to get Buffy by herself somewhere Mm -hmm. so that he can strike elsewhere. Yeah. So I think that part's pretty obvious. But this is the thing. It's obvious 
to everyone but Buffy. I don't I don't know that it is though. Um, I think she knows. I agree with you that she seems oblivious, but I think she knows deep down. I think she can't help herself because that's the thing about a hero, you know? To quote Lord Helmet from Spaceballs, evil will always triumph over good because good is dumb. <laughs> and this yeah. is Buffy. Like, she <laughs> has to go meet Angelus because if she doesn't, people are going to die. And so it doesn't matter that it might be a trap, that it might be a diversion. She, I think she knows deep down it probably is. But she can't take that risk because the moment that you stay home and you say, sorry, dude, you cried wolf one too many times, that's the moment you might be wrong. And then you have those lives on your hands. So a true hero puts themselves in danger and sometimes will make the wrong decision because it's the right thing to do at the time. Yeah, I, I, I totally feel that because it, it's so true. Like heroes got to act. That's what heroes do. Uh, I, I don't know if I agree yeah. with you. I think we'll have to go through the scene a little bit closer and, and see where we, we land. Because okay. I don't think she knows. I think she's smart to leave Kendra okay. behind. Oh, I'm, but I don't I'm think I'm saying she knows. subconsciously she knows. Right? Like I don't think she has it in her brain. Mm, okay, well let's 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 dive in, shall we? Uh we're in the cemetery, the one with all the memories the two of them hold. The special one. And Angel comes out and says, Hello, lover, and he wasn't sure she'd come. And Buffy says, Shouldn't you be out destroying the world right now? And Angel says, There's time enough. I wanted to I wanted to say goodbye first. You're the one thing in this dimension I will miss. And Buffy basically just wants to fight. She's like, Can we just fight? Fuck. And he's like, came hoping that we get back together. Like he's teasing her, right? And he's like, What do you think? Do we have a shot? He's like, All right, we'll fight. And it's this part made me laugh because when he says we'll fight he like runs at her but he does this really exaggerated move where he's like and he like runs at her <laughs> nobody else got to see that no, but it was great but it wasn't accurate or what like i really sold that shit so yeah he just like does this exaggerated movement and he runs so we cut to the library where willow is beginning uh, the ritual she's sitting on the table giles is behind her helping her with the incantations xander's standing guard up on top of the balcony Cordelia is waving sage or something smoky around and Kendra's pacing at the door at the library. They just gave Cordelia that job so that she wouldn't complain. (laughs) It's true. She's like, I want to do something. (laughs) So, uh, so yeah, so the ritual's underway, but suddenly they are attacked by vampires coming from all directions. And I was like, did they figure out that there's a secret passageway in the stacks? Like, how did they get in there from the back? Because we have, like, three come at them from the balcony, and then two come in through the doorway where Kendra Maybe is. Maybe they've been hiding there all day. <laughs> yeah! When the, when, the, when the one that blew herself up came into the school, that's when they all came yeah. in and were just hiding in the stacks. Ooh, I like that. I mean, it seems dangerous for them, but like, yeah. (laughs) So this is how we know that we've reached the season finale because the library is getting banged up again. Oh yeah, it's time. It's time. Let's destroy this motherfucker. (laughs) So Giles is tussling with one. Xander's fighting another. Kendra's taken on two. Cordy and Willow are running up to the balcony and they're like screaming. And Willow does something where she's like hiding behind the bookshelves and another vampire pushes it over on top of her and she gets knocked it's out. It's terrifying. Yeah, Willow's hurt. And we've never seen Willow get hurt like this before. So another vampire breaks Xander's arm or his wrist, like he snaps it. And Giles gets knocked out again. <laughs> and... <sighs> Cordy's standing there looking terrified and a vampire attacks her, but Xander saves her 
and says, go. So Cordelia mm-hmm. goes. She runs. And mm-hmm. Xander also gets knocked out. And Kendra is man- manages to dust one of the vampires, but now she's surrounded by three. So and at this time, Angel and Buffy have been fighting this whole time. But Buffy keeps kind of stopping and stalling. And Angelus says, I don't think your heart's in this. And I think he's saying that because he knows that she's stalling. He doesn't know why she's stalling, but I think he knows that she's like obviously got something on her mind. But on the other hand, this is where I think that Buffy doesn't realize that Angel was also stalling her. Yeah, so I I agree with you. Like the the way that this scene reads, it's clear that it dawns on Buffy when he reveals it. So I, I agree with you. Buffy didn't know. I'm just saying that I think deep down inside, there was a part of her that knew mm-hmm. she didn't listen to that part okay. yeah that's fair because buffy says come on let's finish this you and me and angelus laughs at her and says you never learn do you this wasn't about you this was never about you and like you said buffy has this like lo- dawning look on her face where she's like oh yeah. fuck and she starts running back to the school like sprinting back to the school and angelus <laughs> calls after her and he's like gleeful in his voice again like again david boreatis like just really delivers this character yeah. and he says you fall for it every time and i love this part i love that he said that because it cuts back to when she was bad when angel and buffy mm-hmm. went to go to the bronze to meet that vampire and it was so clearly a trap so angelus is using Mm -hmm. angel's memories to fuck with buffy still so i just think that was really cool (laughs) so we cut between the library and clips of buffy running and the whole idea of this and then the music is epic she's running in slow motion don't forget (laughs) so of course she's not going to get there in time (laughs) why didn't you run faster buffy run in normal speed buffy turn off the slow motion and just go (laughs) fast forward (laughs) um yeah she she's gunning it right and we're wondering as the audience will she get there in time because it's playing at the same time that Kendra is surrounded mm-hmm. by these three. She's all alone now. Drusilla enters the library looking very confident. She looks regal. She does. Like she's got this like, you know, she's got her like trench coat fuzzy yeah, thing red, on. And dress. she looks evil. Yeah. So Drusilla has entered the building. <laughs> and Kendra is fighting three vampires. She is surrounded, like you said. And Drusilla, she makes a noise and she's like calling them off. She's like, you know, this one's mine. And we really haven't seen Drusilla do a lot of fighting for mm-hmm. a while, right? So this is this is a treat. Um, and, you know, at first Kendra lands like a couple of blows, but it's very obvious very quickly that Kendra is outmatched. And this is really interesting because we know that Kendra has spent her entire life preparing to be the Slayer. Mm-hmm. She is trained. Her fighting technique is arguably superior to Buffy's. But Drusilla is a badass vampire. She has been around for over a century. And so when she takes on Kendra, we can see that Kendra is not in Drusilla's league. And Drusilla gets the best of Kendra. And you see her take Kendra and seize her. And you think like, oh my God, she's going to like snap Kendra's neck or something. But she doesn't. She does this weird, very unnerving thing where she like takes two of her, you know, her two fingers and she she points them at Kendra's eyes. And Drusilla says, look at me, be in my eyes Mm -hmm. and like hypnotizes her. And so Kendra, yeah, she goes into a trance. Like a snake charmer. 
Yeah, like, yeah, because Julia Landa has these very piercing, very cat-like mm-hmm. eyes. And the way she moves, like, yeah, it's like a snake charmer. And vampire lore traditionally holds that, that you know, depending on whom you're listening to, vampires can hypnotize people. So we haven't really seen that, except maybe the master. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like, can Angel do this? <laughs> or oh, he can. Or is this like, can Drusilla do it because she has those other psychic powers? It's interesting. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Kendra's in this trance, and then Drusilla takes her fingernail, and she slits Kendra's throat. Now, it's a very small cut, and Kendra just goes down. And I'm just like, I don't know if that would kill her. And I'm also like, Drusilla, you're really disciplined in this moment, because Kendra's a slayer. And and it's interesting to me, like, Drusilla seems like she has a really good work ethic here. She's really focused on her mission because she doesn't even pause to drink from Kendra, yeah. which I think is interesting because Kendra's a slayer. And it's like, she's got all that super strength in her blood. But Drusilla's just like, I'm done with yeah, you. Yeah, wouldn't that be the cred, right? To like drink from a slayer would be like, you know, that's, that's yeah. the whole point. <laughs> like, Ken- Drusilla has killed a slayer, yeah. you know, which she's now even with Spike because we know Spike is, no, Spike has killed two slayers. So she's not quite even yet as far as we know. Um, who's keeping count? But, <laughs> we are. <laughs> you know, Drusilla just killled a slayer. They're like, this is a big yes. deal. Kendra's dead. <gasps> Poor Kendra. Death by fingernails. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, it was a shallow cut for sure. I, I think, I wonder if anybody who had seen it for the first time would think that she died from that. But the way she falls to the ground and the way Drusilla just like dismisses her after that, it's like, okay, yeah. she's clearly dead. Yeah. Yeah, she's dead. Oh my god, it's such a big deal. Uh, it, it, like it is and it isn't. Like this is only the third episode that Kendra has been in. Unfortunately, we didn't get mm-hmm. to see a lot of Kendra, and we wish we had. I wish she had stuck around mm-hmm. all through the half season. Yeah, I, I mean, this is yet again. You know, we've talked about so far the poor handling of characters of color in this show. You know, this is what we would call fridging. We've fridged the only prominent black character on the show after three appearances yeah. which it i understand why kendra had to die for story reasons that's fine it's totally legit but when she's the only black character on the show that's the problem mm-hmm. like if you had more black characters you could kill off kendra and it wouldn't be problematic at all but no so yeah, it's a shame ugh. it's a big shame and that's also why because you know, the fact that she was the only character of color and the fact that we didn't get to see a lot of her, it's a shame that her death doesn't Mm. feel worse for the viewer. I think we could be sad and we could be like, oh my God, she's dead. But like, we weren't connected to her. We didn't see enough of her and feel that love for her the way we feel for Willow, for Cordelia, for Giles. We could have. I would have liked, yeah, I would have liked Kendra to have a bit more of a moment. I would have liked her to have, like, saved Willow or something, like, to die, like, sacrifice herself so that Willow could get out, like, drag Giles out of the library. I would love to see her beat Drusilla up a bit, Mm -hmm. just make them a little more evenly matched. So it's like, you don't know who's going to win. And then like Drusilla can do something like then Drusilla could do the trance thing. Yeah, or like, you know, and like undermine even her. Like, like, like we laugh, you know, death by fingernails. Ha ha ha. But like, you're right. Couldn't her death have even been more of a dramatic moment? It, like, you know, they scratched yeah. her neck. But if Drusilla had drank from her, if all the vampires had drank from her, how horrifying. Right. But it wasn't. Mm. It was kind of anticlimactic. And I think that's a shame. So this is when Drusilla and the other vampires drag Giles out. So clearly the whole point of this 
was to get Giles. Uh, he's unconscious. They drag him out past Kendra's body. And I'm just going to add here, it's a little nitpicky. I'm just going to say it. If her throat was actually slashed, there'd be a lot more blood, like a lot. But, you know, it's, there's no blood at all. Fine. So this is when Buffy slow motion runs into the school. So she, it wasn't slow motion in all the other parts. She was like jumping over benches. She was, I know, I was just yeah, She was sprinting across Sunnydale to get to school. As soon as she enters the school, it cuts to slow motion and we hear Whistler's voice again. And we also hear the Buffy and Angel theme song. And mm-hmm. Whistler says... Bottom line is, even if you see them coming, you're not ready for the big moments. No one asks for their life to change. Not really, but it does. And that's when Buffy enters the library. She looks around at first, and then she sees Kendra's body lying on the ground. She falls down next to it, checks her pulse, but it's clear from her expression that she knows she's dead. And Sarah Michelle Geller's face says it all. It's shock. It's devastation. And I think this is so, mm-hmm. like, as much as we said Kendra's death was a little anticlimactic, I think that Sarah Michelle Geller really sold it when she leaned down right. on top of her. Sure, but this is my issue with it, mm-hmm. right? Is you're killing off the black character in service of making the white character feel something. Yeah. And that just makes me feel like For sure. Yeah, that's that's one angle to it that doesn't sit very well. When I think about it in... Kendra and Buffy's relationship to each other. Sure, there was only three-ish mm-hmm. episodes of it. They had an understanding between each other, and Buffy has been dealing this entire season with the idea that there's a high chance that she's going to die young again and violently, mm-hmm. and here it is right in front of her face. A slayer, just like her, has died young and violently in the library. Yeah, but Kendra died on her watch, mm-hmm. right? Buffy told Kendra to stay there. Mm-hmm. And Buffy was like, I have to go so innocents don't die. Mm-hmm. Well, Kendra, Buffy, you going led to Kendra dying. If you had stuck around and waited for Angel to phone you like Cordelia suggested, mm-hmm. you know, you could have taken on Drusilla with Kendra at your side, but no. So Buffy's in for a healthy dose of guilt. <laughs> yikes so so yeah we hear whistler's voice again so and he says so what are we helpless puppets no the big moments are gonna come you can't help that it's what you do afterwards that counts that's when you find out who you are and as buffy's stroking kendra's face we hear someone shout freeze and a gun comes up onto screen we don't see who it is and buffy looks up and her there's tears in her eyes and she's in shock and whistler says You'll see what I mean. And then it cuts. And that's the end. Dun, dun, dun. To be continued. To be continued. This is a great first part to a two-parter for sure. We're going to see that this season finale is very clearly chipping away at Buffy. <laughs> chipping everything away from her. And we're going to see, I mean, the next episode. Becoming part two is my favorite episode of this entire series. I mean, that remains to be seen after we do this entire rewatch. I love this episode, but I fucking love the next episode, okay. and I'm so excited. <sighs> yeah, this episode is a great is great <laughs> for in terms of Angel's character development, and I I just really love that we got to see his backstory, and we get to see like why Angel is so pivotal to the show, and <laughs> why the whole question around reinsoling him is important. So we're seeing, like, yeah, he was a villain. Mm-hmm. But then when he got reinsold and then Whistler showed him the way, Buffy inspired him to take on a more heroic role. 
because Buffy's mm-hmm. fucking inspirational. All right. So, okay. So who is your hero? I'm going to go with primarily Willow um, because to me, she shines in this episode so many ways. I think the most obvious one is like she's willing to, you know, work this magic to restore Angel's soul. And we've already discussed at length, like what that's about. But I also want to point out, like, Willow's just being a really good friend. You know, she's helping Buffy study for school. She's checking in with Buffy. You know, she stood up for Buffy when it came to, like, Xander being a dick. Said unspeakable things about Xander over the phone to Buffy. (laughs) And she's, like, checking in with Buffy. And she's like, what do you want to do, right? She's like, I will follow your lead. And so Willow is just being an A-plus friend in this episode. And I think that makes her heroic. And then I'm also just, I want to give a posthumous shout out to Jenny because there would be no restoration spell without Jenny Callender and the work that she did before she was killed by Angel. So, you know, just one last mention of Jenny Callender and how amazing she was. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree with you on the Willow aspect of that. I mean, and, and Jenny too. But I also picked Willow. Yeah. Uh, I think Willow was amazing in this episode. And for just for the look she gave Xander, for that look alone. Yes. That was the best look, oh, I think. It was like Venom. Oh, it was Venom. Almost of the season. Ooh, that was good. So yeah. she's my hero too. But And I also guess I'll give one to Kendra. Oh, yeah. Good point. She came to Sunnydale to help. She And like Jenny, she gave her life for the cause. <sighs> Rest in peace, ladies. Rest in peace. Yeah. Two strong, powerful women of Buffy gone too soon okay so I hope everyone enjoyed that but we have hot stakes to get to so I want to thank everybody who reached out with their hot stakes Uh, we did a call out on social media saying that we are recording becoming part one becoming part two and the season two wrap up within a similar time span of each other and a lot of you (laughs) rose up and Join the cause and you sent some amazing hot steaks to us. So if you don't hear yours in this episode, just be aware that we have everybody's, but we have distributed them between the three episodes. So if you don't hear yours today, you're going to hear it in the next one. And if you don't hear it, then you'll hear it in the season two wrap up episode. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Our first one is about Angel and it was sent from Savannah. And she says that Angelus was a great idea for a villain, but they had no idea how to finish the arc. First, he's tormenting Buffy. Then he suddenly doesn't care about that and wants to end the world. Even though he lives in it? (laughs) Question mark. Uh, Villains need clear goals that make sense. And I think they didn't think all of Angelus's arc through. Also, I absolutely love both of you and the show is fabulous. And of that in the end. So this is where I said I had some thoughts on a Akathla because Savannah, I think you're completely right. I don't like how suddenly Angel goes from I am obsessed with Buffy and maybe I'll kill her to I am going to destroy the entire world. Like, that's unhinged. Yeah. Might I share a theory of mine? Um, You might. Because I, I mean, this is our podcast. I'm going to share my theory. Uh, I had mentioned something at the end of I Only Have Eyes for You. And do you remember Angel's extreme discomfort and need to like wash his skin dry when he felt the teacher's soul in his body? I I brought that up and I I was going to bring it up in Becoming 2, but I don't know if it's ever going to come up. So here it is, everybody. My theory is that that soul being in Angel's body was such a close call 
to feeling what it felt like to have a soul for a hundred years and the pain and remorse that comes with that. And of course, the forgiveness and the eventual becoming a hero. Angelus felt all that when he had a soul, right? So I think him having a reminder of it shook him to his core. And that might give a little bit of an excuse as to why all of a sudden he's like, I'd rather be in fucking hell than have to go through that hell again. Interesting. Okay. Having a soul is Angelus's personal hell. So he doesn't want even the idea, because this is two close calls, right? The first close call was when Jenny was looking to restore the soul and he killed her. And the second was this little taste Mm -hmm. of this ghost soul. Like three's the charm, right? I don't think he wants that chance again. Mm -hmm. That's, That's honestly why I feel he all of a sudden was like, you know what? Ending the fucking world of all this humanity is kind of for me at this point. That's that's my theory. So mm-hmm. it, it it might not be true. It might just be my headcanon. But it might give a little bit of indication as to why the Akathla plot appeals to him. Hmm, just That's been my TED talk. <laughs> Thanks, Savannah. <laughs> okay, so our next hot stake is from TikTok user Ziva, aka the ineffable she- and uh, Ziva has some comments about the portrayal of the, the Romani and, and says, you know, from an in-universe perspective, the Calderash Roma would be at most feared for their power, not oppressed, um, and, and, you know, not genocided or enslaved. Uh, but then she's saying, like, okay, like, if they're this powerful and the Romani Holocaust never happened, like, how did they lose those magics that they used to curse Angel? So Ziva's kind of, like, getting to this continuity or a plot hole issue here with the difference in how the Romani are are depicted in Buffy versus, you know, historical, actual historical events. Mm -hmm. And and Ziva goes on to say, you know, it would make sense if they lost their magical wisdom in general, if all their magic users had been killed off. But it doesn't make sense if the wisdom in question is the ability to make people who hurt them feel devastatingly guilty for it. So I think, you know, this just goes back to the fact that this show so far has a very poor track record for how it depicts other cultures, practices and beliefs. You know, we saw this in the pack when it came to the very overgeneralized depiction of African tribalism and practices of animism and stuff and now it's doing the same thing with the roma people and you know ziva says this is problematic because all we see are roma as magic practitioners and and it's it's contributing to this stereotype where you're either romanticizing them or demonizing them uh and i'm i'm completely with you there ziva Mm -hmm. it's a really excellent point okay so we also have a, a hot stake from phoenix who wanted to talk about the ritual of restoration. And he says there are some problematic elements of Willow performing the spell in the first place, as it comes from the Romani folk practices and those typically private, hereditary, and closed. He says that when we talk about the soul in the Buffyverse, it essentially is a humanity or a conscious, and it's very loose in terms of what it actually means. Depending on your specific belief system, you may have particular views on where the soul goes after death. This ritual made me think of a theory in the practice of past life regression called walk-ins, where essentially one soul is swapped out for another during a particular traumatic time, and the original inhabitant needs a break. The conscious mind of the person 
is completely unaware of this and there is no way to tell it's happened unless you go through past life regression experience. So if we apply this concept to the ritual of restoration and a completely unpracticed witch performing it, aka Willow, we have no way to really know if the soul Willow was restoring to Angel's body actually belongs to him or not. It is entirely possible that Willow reached into the hereafter and pulled out Dolores, the dearly departed banker, (laughs) and just put her essence into Angel. Since memories are stored in the physical brain, there would be no way to tell if it was his original soul or someone completely different unless you tried to find out. So Phoenix is saying that although the circumstances certainly demanded action to be taken, he wonders if this will become a pattern for our characters of using magics with no concern for the potential consequences. Wink! I I also wonder that, Phoenix. (laughs) But that's such a great and interesting thing to bring up, right? Like when you think about it, like how does Willow know which soul she's plucking out of Mm -hmm. the ether? Could it be Dolores the banker? (laughs) Could it be Jenny? (laughs) Like, could it be anybody's soul? That's really, really interesting Mm -hmm. and a really cool way to think about it. The consequences and problems that could come with Willow being unpracticed in what she's doing. Our last hot take is from Magnus, who thinks that instead of killing Kendra, Drusilla should have turned her into a vampire. You know, because not only would this solve the problem of Kendra not being around anymore, we miss Kendra already, but, you know, Magnus is like, maybe something different happens when a Slayer gets turned into a vampire. And, you know, maybe Kendra would still have, like, some humanity or something. Like, we don't know. We have no idea what would happen if you turn a Slayer into a vampire. And Magnus, you know, makes the point that this would have helped with not having any people of color on the show right now. (laughs) Um, Bingo! So, yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's always interesting to think about what would have happened if the writers had made a slightly different choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so true. And it would have been so cool to see Kendra as a vampire. However, I think it would have broken my heart to see her as a vampire too, right? And But hey, that's something they yeah. never explored on the show. Or I mean, you know, we don't know that yet. Wink. So I guess we'll have to see. (laughs) That's it for today for Hot Stakes. But we have so much more coming in the next couple episodes. Thank you so much, everybody who's participating. And it's not too late to send them in. You can always send us your thoughts, opinions, and questions. And we will do our best to get back to you. Hell yeah. (laughs) Okay, so see you next week for the season finale. Thanks for listening to Prophecy Girls. We invite you to join in the discussion by messaging us on our social media channels. Follow us at Prophecy Girls Podcast on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook, and Prophecy underscore Girls on Twitter. You can also reach out to our email at prophecygirlspodcast at gmail.com or visit our website, prophecygirls.ca. See you next week. Bye.